0: Hey everybody, this is Connor, your podcast producer. Welcome back to another Yellowbird Connect podcast. We have two very special guests on our podcast today. Pat is in the studio talking with Dom Felix and Gonzalo Corzo, the co-founders of RLA Investments. You have definitely seen them around. They're at Connect. They're the co-hosts of Speak. These guys are just chilling it right now, and they are here today talking about how they got started and some of the skills and the mindset that they've developed over the years to scale their business to
1: the point where they are
0: today. And at the end of the show, they're even taking some of your questions from Facebook Live and answering them on the podcast, so make sure you stick around to hear that. Hope you enjoy it, and have a great week. The main reason we started Connect is to give everyone the opportunity to do what I did. We wanted to be offer the real estate community, especially locally, something new, something that was fresh. And if we can help a couple people change their lives through this education. Just one person or two people come up to me saying, man, that was awesome, like what you put on it was great. Then it'd be a huge win for everyone. If you've gotten any value at all from this Yellow Bird podcast, Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. What's up, everybody? This is Pat Flynn, and we are on the Yellow Bird podcast. It is 8.30 on Thursday morning, and we have Dom and Gonzalo with us from RLA. I cannot believe it took us this long to get you guys on this fucking podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dude, we had to wait till you got more audience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting up and running now, but, uh, we work with Dom Gonzalo on a regular basis. I bought several deals from them. They send us their stuff all the time. So, uh, today's going to be cool in that they are some of the best people in Jacksonville to get you up to speed. If you, uh, from not doing a deal to doing a deal and, uh, I also want to talk about, too, um, how you know everyone's talking about no deals right now, markets saturated. Us and Dom, Dom and Gonzalo, are more or less competitors, right? We're going after the same stuff, and the fact that you send us stuff all the time, we try to work together all the time, and we all grow together. Um, tide comes up, raises all ships. I, I love the abundance mindset and the fact that you guys are so good with that. know and the whole real jacksonville community is really good obi dorsey's really good with that Mm -hmm. all them guys are so i want to talk about that too but let's get started with y'all's background um i've heard yours before gonzalo but just give me your background real quick again and uh dom i don't really know yours as well so let's let's go through that
2: and get to where we're at now cool man yeah so my older brother i was going to school to be a
1: cop i'll keep it Woo! Woo! (laughs)
2: Really? there we go there we go ladies and
1: gentlemen they just bought adult beverages in the building so
0: we we have not done this before for a podcast this was just having you guys on we appreciate you taking the time out of your morning to come on and this do this is awesome and uh so we wanted to do we wanted to try this out see how it goes this is we're always experimenting i was here.
2: about to shake because i haven't had my drink i feel yet this like morning. <laughs> this
1: is perfect. it'll take
0: a little of the podcast edge off <laughs> When people try to we'll
1: get, get me drunk, I feel it. like they're trying to get all the secrets. <laughs> yeah, this is true. What's your story? But before that, here's a drink. <laughs> awesome, man. So, uh,
2: I'll keep it keep it short. But I was going to school to be a cop. My brother was getting into real estate. Said you need to you need to get into real estate. I'm gonna take you to this personal development event. I didn't really want to go, but he offered to pay for the whole thing. So I was like, Hell yeah, free trip. So I went, totally changed my life, learned about real estate, passive income, uh, building wealth. And from that moment, a week, like a week and a half after that event, dropped out of school, started reading a ton of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, you know, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, just got really into personal development, really into real estate. And I went to a Rich Dad, Poor Dad seminar and, th- and that taught me about wholesaling. So they were talking about how you can buy properties with no money, and Mm -hmm. I wanted to find out what that was. So I went to that event and that's where I learned wholesaling. And I was like, this is what I wanna do. So from there, I just started going to a bunch of real estate events. I'm very big on my network and just networking with a lot of people, going out, putting myself out there, meeting everybody, meeting the movers and shakers uh, of the industry. So I started going to a bunch of events and then at a real estate event in Orlando, I met a guy who lived in St. Augustine and i offered to work for him for free and he was like cool i'm looking for free employees right (laughs) and so i did that i started going up to st augustine during the week would go back home on the weekends and worked at my parents restaurants to make some money because i was working for free but i learned a shit ton and i just learned the ins and outs of the real estate industry got introduced to a lot of other movers and shakers here locally and that's what brought me up to jacksonville And so after about a year and a half to two years of working with them, you know, kind of outgrew that situation. And then I was wholesaling properties. I actually wholesaled some of Dom's houses, and that's how I connected with Dom. Um, And, yeah, that's kind of a short story on how I am where I am today. It's it's funny
0: because everything you're saying is, you know – is the recipe of how to do it. Personal development, going out, meeting people, building your network, and then you uh, you find someone who's killing it, doing what you want to do, and you say, hey, man, how can I add value? Um, I want to work for you for free. I mean, that is the exact recipe of how to do it. So it's just cool that, you know, everyone, everyone wants the easy road of, yeah, you know, go on Facebook and this guy says I can make 40 grand wholesale in a house. It's like, well, yeah, you can, <laughs> but but it takes... It takes work and it takes grind to get there. A lot more grind than you see in a Facebook video post from a guru. Yeah. So, hearing it from you is cool because my, I mean, my story's similar.
1: Yeah, it took us well over two years and well over a couple hundred deals before we did our first forty thousand dollars wholesale. I love hearing that. Yeah, I mean, like our yeah, deal average the in the first six to twelve months was probably forty five hundred bucks. Yep. Yeah.
0: Love that. I mean, another thing too. Another real number. Is uh we send out we send out a two thousand postcards and probably get or or from two thousand phone calls, we probably get one or two ten thousand dollar deals. Mm-hmm. How many properties do I have to look look at for a ten thousand dollar deal? Hundreds and hundreds. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's so a numbers those, game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you guys heard, but I say this um comparison a lot. I like to look at wholesaling like gold mining. And <laughs> he mm-hmm. <laughs> got the celery going in his eye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ladies he just sh- and gentlemen, shut my eye and kept going with
1: it. Pat Flynn is drinking his uh, what is this called again? Bloody, um, Bloody Mary. 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 <laughs> and the celery was going into his eye. It was These amazing. are good. They're really good. I'm not a usually not a big Bloody Mary fan, but this mix is really yeah, really good. I've What's, Never had it. What
0: mix is it? Charleston. Charleston. Bold and spicy. Charleston Bloody Mary mix. I'm gonna awesome.
2: confess, guys, I've never had a Bloody Mary. <laughs> really? <Straight laughs> You'll yeah.
1: get there. It's
2: an acquired taste. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean they didn't ID me here, so I'm good.
1: <laughs> so I think a really good comparison for wholesalers is to look at it like gold mining, right? Gold miners, they go out and they mine crap loads and tons of dirt before they get to the gold, right? So we have to grind through the leads to get to the right ones mm-hmm. that we're gonna make our fair size wholesale deals with. Cool. Yeah.
0: So what what is your background, Dom? I'm white.
1: <laughs> I'm white, dude. A lot of people think I'm Hispanic <laughs> because of the last name Felix. The funny thing is with that, my, my real dad, his last name was Romano. He was Italian, but he got a, I think my, my mic went out. No, it didn't. Oh, there it goes. I still hear you. Oh, it was my headphones then. Okay. So, but he got adopted by a Portuguese family, and he adopted their last name, which is Felix. So I'm not Hispanic at all.
0: I I thought you were Hispanic, actually, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some people think that, especially (laughs) because of the last name. I'm Italian and Irish, primarily. You're just a white guy. Just a white guy. (laughs) Pretty pretty fly for a white guy, though. You tricked
2: me, dude. When we partnered up, I was like, dude, I told my parents I'm partnering up with this Hispanic dude, you know. (laughs) I can't find any of them successful. (laughs) Four weeks into it, I I found out he was white.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I kept it on the low-low because I was trying to bring him in and partner and figure out this wholesale thing. (laughs) <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so my background, yeah. I mean, so lo- literally, I am, I am a grass cutting call center representative. Is what I am. Like, I was in call centers for years. I did collections for years and years and years, and then I, I went into like retention sales for years. Mm-hmm. I always did extremely well. When I was in collections with Citigroup, uh, you know, a lot of people would tell me, you know, you're gonna start collections. It's gonna be hard. You know it's probably gonna take a few months and after three or four months you might bonus you might not bonus um, but just you know take it easy whatever so first month off the bat I bonused, and then every month thereafter I was always number one on the floor as far as incentives are concerned the amounts and then bonusing every single month uh, and just blowing everyone out of the water there was just something I had with talking to people mm-hmm. and making people feel comfortable and trusting me so that worked out really well. Then I moved on to retention sales. And then in retention sales, I was always in the top three every single month for years. So I had a really good knack with working with the people. And the funny thing is that's the part of any part of my job, current or the past, that frightens me the most is talking to people, is negotiating sales with people. I'm good at it. But it's the one thing that frightens me the most. Hmm. So hopefully that that um, resonates with people. It's tough, but you know once you start it, then it's cool. Once you know, it's really a mindset thing. You know, it's it really is. being scared to make that phone call. But once you make it and you start the conversation after the first sentence, everything is a lot easier mm-hmm. going forward. So anyway, um, I just uh, reached my ceiling in retention sales, uh, and I, I'm gonna try to speed this up because I'm taking like the longer version. But um, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. so I reached uh, the ceiling. I was making like 60 to 70 grand a year. Uh, And if I was going to go into management, I was going to take a huge pay cut and go to like 40 grand a year. And I didn't really want to do that. So I decided to quit and go cut grass just because I wanted to do something independent. I had all these ideas, all these things that I talked to people about starting, and no one really wanted to take action. And I just decided to quit. And I went and started a grass cut company in about three weeks i uh, replaced my salary i built up my customer base enough so to substitute three my weeks salary. about three weeks yeah awesome yeah yeah so i was just uh i'm just kind of driven in that mm-hmm. way um not it, i don't know it doesn't really uh it wasn't really passed down from me uh, my real father my real father passed away when i was one year old and i never really knew him but he was a really successful entrepreneur he had a printing company And it's funny because we'll go into detail how that relates to us today. But he had a printing company that he started out of the basement of the house that I grew up in, right? And then that printing company um, moved on to an office in Manhattan, and then he took over the whole floor of a building in Manhattan, and then he was about to go into the second and third floor, and he's really blowing up. He was one of the first printing companies in Manhattan that printed in color. So that was awesome. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And he had uh, contracts with, um, you know, companies like Playboy and Time and things like that. Mm -hmm. So he was really on to something special. And then he had a massive heart attack at 42 years old and he died. And then my mom had no idea what to do with the business. So she sold it. And everyone says she got raked over the coals. She didn't really make any kind of money. And we grew up broke, you know. So my brothers, my older brothers, because I, I, I come from a big family. I'm one of seven and I'm the youngest. So my brothers, who are old enough to be my dad, um, they experienced some of that good life, you know, some of that money mm-hmm. that he was experiencing, and, I, and I've seen none of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, so I don't know. So maybe in some way that kind of correlates with mm-hmm. me. I've heard some stories, not really too many details, um, but kind of maybe that's the kind of chemical balance or imbalance that I have that that drives me to just want to push and succeed and grow my businesses. So um, let's see, call center up grass cut company. Okay, yeah. So I had the grass cut company and then I started learning that I could start cutting grass for bank owned properties and make like three or four times per cut. My grass cuts were like 30 to $35 per cut. And in the mortgage field service industry, um, you can make like 85 to 125 per cut on just regular size grass cut lots. So I started fighting for those contracts. You know, I started applying, getting turned down, figuring out what I didn't have, getting what I didn't have, applying, getting turned down. So it took like, you know, 11, 12, 13 tries um, per company. And there's a lot of companies out there. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of some of the companies you've probably seen on some of the distressed homes like Safeguard, I've seen MCS, a, yeah. Five Brothers, stuff like that. Yeah, those were all my clients. So um, I started applying, so I landed one, right? And once I landed one, then I landed another, and then I landed another, right? So I just substituted, um, you know, all of the work that I was doing for my residential clients. I kind of, like, pushed that aside and sold that off, and then I just started only doing the bank work, you know, and I started growing exponentially, and I had, you know, a good handful of crews here in Jacksonville, Florida. Then I had friends in other cities that were just asking me, you know, you seem to be doing really well. You're blowing up. I'm a handyman grass cut guy, too. You know, how could I get into it? So I would just give them, you know— the the ways to apply and none of them like I'm talking about you know probably 20 30 people none of them would be able to get on I guess they never fought and persisted right. like I did so none of them were able to get on so what I did was I subcontracted my work because there was enough spread in there to them so then I started moving on to other cities in Jacksonville and I realized once I started subcontracting the work to my friends I was like man I could just put ads out and find I mean there's shit loads of handyman <laughs> crews and grass cut crews and I could just start subcontracting the work so, fast forward about four or five years later, dude, I'm in eight states. I'm covering half the state of Florida, three quarters of the state of Tennessee. I'm in all just the, uh, the mortgage field services. Yeah. Now, it's not just grass cutting. One of the things I forgot to say is they told me if I wanted to successfully work with a contract with them, then I have to handle all the maintenance on a house that I didn't know how to do. I had to do roof repairs, window replacements lock changes, like everything, anything in the house needed, I was responsible for. Mm. And I just said, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, it was a really great experience. Dude. It was a great experience. I, 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 fell into it in May of 2007 when the economy was going into the shitter yeah. and I was able to capitalize off of growing a, a business in a bad economy, which was awesome. But so the
0: foreclosure
1: volume. Kind of, I mean, you. So you yeah. already
0: had these bank contracts, and then the foreclosure volume went
1: exactly. up, up, up. Exactly. <laughs> so I had like endless work. Yeah. You know, if I can get the crews endless, together, high and, margin work. Yes. Bank stuff. Yes. So if I can get the coverage area, then I can get the work. So I created like at, at our biggest size, we had about thirty employees, right, and it was kind of all call center style, kind of like the boiler room we have now, just a little bit bigger, and. um, uh, and part of that was just a team for recruiting vendors only, mm-hmm. which was, which was essential. And I think that with a growing company, that's something that, that people miss, you know, you, you grow to a certain point, whether it's employees yeah. or the subcontractors, you grow to a certain point and, um, you know, you have a team in place, but you're not ready to where if you lose a piece of that team, you lose right. a piece yeah. of that team, then you take a step back. You know, then you have to rebuild back up a little bit. But if you can continue to recruit at all times, whether it's employees or vendors, and you have a surplus, when someone falls out, you just substitute and put the surplus into that spot, all right? So the thing that company it was a, it was an incredible experience. It's still operating today. It's not at the five million dollar per year where we were at, at at our biggest. It's now about one one and a half million, just because there's no more inventory out there mm-hmm. as far as foreclosures. Didn't matter how well we did didn't matter how much we impressed our clients I couldn't continue to grow and in fact it was going in the opposite direction as the economy was improving yeah and that's yeah. the one thing that I wasn't prepared for you know I wasn't prepared for the next thing I didn't look at like the economy and the future I didn't have that big like right all encompassing overview for you know being prepared for that switch, which is what a lot of people are talking about now. Like what happens when the next dip comes? And we, we operate well in a great economy. So what happens when that starts taking down? What are we all going to do? And a lot of people think wholesaling is kind of the key. It's just transitioning that a little bit. So that's a lot longer story. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, in that decline, as I started losing inventory, I just started uh, noticing I'm going to have to do something different. Right. So I started a few other companies. I started buying a bunch of rental properties just to build it to a point where it's going to just protect, you know, uh, continual income. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized you can run out of money really, really quick. Just buying properties, cash off the, off the market. <laughs> um, what
0: year were you buying those then?
1: Shoot. Uh, when did I start? A good time. A a good time. A good, good time, man. A good time. Probably 08, 09. Mm hmm yeah yeah some some i bought for like 15 to 20 grand i sold for 50 to 70 grand put maybe five to ten grand into it awesome bought them as rentals. sold them as rentals um yeah yeah. so i had some good experiences made some really good money with that um but i also started a home maintenance warranty company i also started a new kind of thing and i called it a property management maintenance company Mm -hmm. um i was doing the rentals i still had my mortgage field services company and then um, I bought rentals and I saw the appreciation. So I started selling some rentals um, to make some income as well. And then I met Gonzalo because he came in with a got, you know, these these investors and that had a fund that they wanted to fill with with properties. So he started what, buying. What properties. What was that? From
0: me. Gonzalo, we met me and you met before RLA was a thing. Yep. We, we used to go to both go to Jack's Ria.
2: What was that company you used to be? So I used to work with the, uh, with the company called K.I.G. Right. Yep. I remember that K I G cook investment group. That was the guy that took me under his, his wing, Pete cook. And, uh, it was me, my buddy, Vicente, Pete. And, uh, we were working with a team out of Atlanta and we were doing all of their Jacksonville. Basically it's a, a wholesale out of Atlanta and he was a wholesaler out of Atlanta. Yep. And he okay. wanted to expand to Jacksonville and Pete had that connection. My mentor at the time and uh, we started doing all of their disposition sales here. So they would acquire them and give me the inventory, and then I'd sell the properties for them. They were acquiring them over the phone from Atlanta? Yep, (coughs) yeah. And so through Pete, I made a ton of connections with other buyers and stuff like that. And then uh, one of the buyers that he introduced me to had a million bucks, wanted to buy shit ton of rental properties here in Jacksonville. So I started looking on the market, off market, everything. And Dom had his rentals on the market. Yeah. And so that's how Dom and I connected. I wholesaled four of his rental properties to them. And then that's how Dom and I met. And we just kept going to lunches, brainstorming. We knew, you know, I knew he was looking for something. He knew I was looking for something. Right. So it kind of just worked out perfect timing in a way.
1: Yeah. How long did we know each other before we partnered up? Was it two months? I think
2: a c- it was yeah, short. a couple
1: months. So we, we met in February.
2: I bought the first house from you February of 2017. And then we opened up RLA in June of 2017.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. What was the first uh, vision for RLA? Are you guys big goal setters Like with the company? like Did you know what it was going to be? Did you set goals with what you were trying to do? And then what was the big first adjustment with it? Was it always going to be a wholesaling company with a yeah. boiler room of callers and?
1: It was always going yeah,
2: to always be always going to be a wholesale company. Uh, when you know, when when Dom and I met, my goal. I'm a I'm a big uh, fan of systems. E you know. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book. I have. Oh, Should definitely read it, dude. Yeah, especially where where you're at now with uh, Gabe and stuff like that. Yeah. bringing on more people onto the team. Um, Traction. E Myth, uh, Traction. Those are awesome. Just books on systemizing. Right, So E-Myth was, I uh, think it was, so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cash Flow Quadrant, and then Cash Flow Quadrant is where he breaks down the, the Cash Flow Quadrant, right? You're an employee, self-employed, an investor, um, or a business owner, mm-hmm. right? And so he would always say, like, and this is Robert Kiyosaki, right? Yep. He would say, like, you, you can be uh, a hustler, an entrepreneur, right, entrepreneur, but you're not really an entrepreneur you're just self-employed right and so i knew that getting into it i wanted to own a business and not just be a one man show
0: not be the guy out that 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 is driving 100% of the profits of it not Correct. being the guy that needs to be out there every day okay. or you're not making money yep yep and so that was so, the plan going in
2: yep that was that was my plan breaking off from that uh, from that company that I used to work with was I wanted to start wholesaling on my own and then eventually turn it into a real business with employees, staff, um, and then my job would be to be the visionary right of, of the company and keep the company growing and moving. And then when I met Dominic, Dom ha- already had the experience of building a company, hiring employees, firing employees, Huge systemizing. Tasks. Yeah, I mean, you got employee handbooks, rules, QuickBooks, all that shit. Holding you know? people accountable. Yep. And uh, I didn't have that experience. I knew that's, that was what I wanted. That's what I needed. And so that's kind of what I saw in Dom and the value of partnering up with yeah. Dom was I knew all of the wholesale stuff. I got all the contracts, the scripts. I got buyers. You know what you to know. do. I've done deals, you know, tons and tons of deals, but... I've never hired somebody. Right. I never, you know, had payroll on QuickBooks. <laughs>
1: you and got a th- shitload of payroll now, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and so that was the thing that was like, all right, let me just. Le- I can either have 100% ownership of what I can create, or I can just leverage Dom, partner up with Dom, and then uh, you know get to my goals a lot quicker.
1: Here's the uh, the, the funny thing because That's when awesome. I when I bought my investment properties i bought a lot of them wrong you know i wasn't exposed to the calculations the true calculations of how to cash flow a property Mm -hmm. you know you look at a property oh i can get a mortgage on that property buy it for 80 grand mortgages x amount um but the rent doesn't cover the mortgage and the expenses with a surplus after the fact so i didn't really have that kind like i just like i'll just go in and if i have a feeling about something i'll start it and i'll clean it up along the way You know, that's kind of how we do it. You know, we do have a plan for things, but we kind of like take action and figure it out as we go along. Mm -hmm. Um, But But at the same time,
0: you guys had a plan the whole time and that's saying a lot. Yes. I mean, you had a plan. It was going to be system, a systemized wholesaling business. You know, that's more than a lot of people getting into it. So Mm -hmm. the fact that you had that plan and then continue to fail forward. Thank is, you bro. This is why you six, The reason so I wanted to point
1: happy. that out is because a lot of people get in that analysis paralysis phase and they don't start. You can start and you can make money as you're going along and as you're learning the process. So like oh. but or you can take the other way. You can try to learn it for 2 years and then start, but then you're just wasting so much time. Right. You know. You can learn it as you're as you're working it out. Um, but I wanted to point out that um, when I bought my properties um, I, I, f- I learned about wholesaling inside of purchasing my rental properties, right? And the funny thing is, and, and I'll mention uh, the person in, in a second, but I bought, I, I went to buy a property from a wholesaler here in town. And um, when I went through my due diligence uh, phase, it re- I, I basically he gave me the paperwork and I didn't really know what the paperwork was, but I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to tell someone I've never seen this assignment. It was an assignment contract so and I bought loser. a bunch of pro- <laughs> I bought a bunch of properties I'm running this five million dollar a year company I've got all these employees so I'm a businessman I'm getting this paperwork so I'm embarrassed you know I don't want to say what is this I it was so weird I should have just asked what the hell is this what kind of a process and I did it right so I signed away I signed away put in the paperwork um, I think they got me with the no inspection period right and then I, I went and I did inspection. I found that the place was like riddled with termite, like really, really bad. Um, my bad. So really, really bad. And um, and I wanted to back out. And uh, I lost my earnest money. Do you know who I lost my earnest money to? obi Dorsey. obi Dorsey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, he got me. That was me. just a guess. Uh, yeah, and I never had any hard feelings toward it. I understood it. I understood uh, surpassing your inspection period. Uh, the cool thing is, and shout out to OB Dorsey for doing mm. this for me, but he gave me half of, half of it back and he didn't have to, he could have kept it all. Right. So that was pretty cool. Really uh, funny.
0: I, Cause I have a similar, just, I just have a similar <laughs> story starting. You're talking about this assignment contract. I, uh, do you know, Hunt, the, uh, what's their company name? Fair home offers Hunter oh, Hayden yes, and James Hawkins. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was getting into it. I left offshore and I was going to be a con I run, I ran crews offshore to do, you know, big jobs on the stack and stuff like that. Okay. I was going to run crews in houses. That was my plan. Mm -hmm. I was going to be a GC, just get my license and just hammer through houses and run a crew. That's what I, that's what I knew. Um, so the first house I bought was from Hunter. So I assignment contract, what the fuck is this? I have no idea. I'm not going to ask though, right? <laughs> Why would I ask? Yeah. I'll just sign it. We agreed on a price and ladies uh, and
1: gentlemen, just sign. Don't, don't <laughs> read it. Don't ask questions. Just sign.
0: So I signed it, went through it. It was much more messed up than I thought, but I was still going to push through and close. Um, couldn't get hard money. I thought it'd be easy. I applied to over 20 different hard money companies, uh, all the big ones, And tried to reach out to some local guys, and it just it wouldn't happen for me. I couldn't get, you know, I didn't have a track record. I had rentals and a bunch of (laughs) equity in my rentals, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a track record of a flip, right? Right. So, um, I I had to back out. I I had no choice. I couldn't. I signed the contract. Like, yep, fail forward. I'll figure the money out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't get it figured out in time, and it's. Real, it was a real tail between your legs. It sounds like nothing now, but it was a real tail between your legs moment for me. I'm looking at them as like these awesome Jacksonville wholesalers, and like, all right, I'm gonna buy a deal from them and perform. And it's like, fuck, (laughs) I have to back out. And like, they actually did give me my two grand earnest money back. So shout out to them. Uh, But yeah, that was just. Just not knowing, and you know, anyone that gets started, you're gonna have those failures that really hurt your ego. Oh, we have a couple you're, good ones. I, I'd love to hear about them because those, a lot, I think the reason a lot of people don't get into it is because they have an ego. You know, I had an ego that I, I had been working offshore for almost 10 years. I knew my shit out there. You know, I ran crews out there, and now I'm like trying to buy a house and don't really know what the fuck I'm doing, but I'm trying to act like I do. Right. So uh, that was a big hit for me. And I think that's a lot. You, you have to start from the beginning and yep. network and be honest with what
1: you know and what you don't know. So, yeah. So that was my first time ever f- hearing about the concept of wholesaling was my own experience. Never saw it online. Never saw it. Read it anywhere. I learned about it through that process. And once I learned about it through that process, I researched it a bunch more this is at the very beginning of seeing slight changes in my company at a down, you know, before we hit, uh, a more of a rough patch of a downward spiral. Um, and when I, when I learned about it, I researched it a, a bunch and I realized like, if I'm really going to take this serious, like I'm taking my other company, like it's involved, it's very, involved. I could go out and hustle and do a deal here and there, but the right. way that I like to build a company, like it would be super involved and I wasn't quite ready for it just yet. Right. So the fast forward when I met Gonzalo, like I have the bis- the business building experience, Gonzalo has this the intricate wholesale experience. Right. I thought it was I thought it was perfect because he jumped in, he was kind of everything, right? He was doing the deals, every part of the deals, the transaction coordination, the acquisitions, lining it up with the buyers, and I was basically like support for him, building it out, building the systems, putting the spreadsheets together, figuring out what we're going to do next. Finally, after was it two, three, was it four months before our first hire? Mm-hmm. About four months before our first hire, we were ready to take someone on. Then we took another person on, then another person. So we're at the point now. Um, it did, you know, we we got up to the point where we got ten employees within a, like a year, um, and then it's kind of still around that ten. And we have twelve now okay. because it gets to the point where we just want to fix processes, tighten things up. We don't only want to make four grand average per wholesale deal. Now we're closer to average of 10 per wholesale deal, which is pretty cool. Um, You know, we are starting to see a lot more of the 15, 20 granders. And then once every two or three months, we get a happy birthday, a 35, 45 grand or something like that. Um, But you still get, um, we're starting to more consistently (laughs) see the 20 granders and in the teens and not really messing with the lower ones. We don't really like to let any deal go. Right. um, But you start to look at it at a more broad perspective of, I can make a thousand, two thousand on this deal, which I would do every day of the week. But am I wasting time that okay. I could be doing on a bigger deal? Right, you justifying your time. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that's where the phase that we're in right now.
0: Cool. So I'm sure some people listening. I mean, that's great info for people that are starting. Some people are probably the hustling side of things now and looking to maybe grow into something. Into something like you guys. I know you're very open with your office structure and who you have. You, I mean open your doors to people all the time. Can you give us an idea of those 12 people, what they do, what their roles are and where you're kind of struggling right now as far as hire? where's where is
1: like the bottleneck? Right. I
2: yeah. think
1: we just surpassed a bottleneck. Correct. I think our bottle our bottleneck was acquisition management. Right? Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Do you want to elaborate on yeah, that? Yeah, so crew?
2: kind of uh, to to bring it back to your to answer the question, when uh, when we first started thinking about hiring people, Dom basically created a spreadsheet and we broke it down into departments, right? So we had acquisitions, dispositions, um, admin, and marketing. Those were the departments, yeah. right? And so we started breaking down the responsibilities of, of each department. And then we wanted to put people in place for those things, and then inside of each department, it grows into more people. So th- the people that we have right now, uh, we have. <coughs> so we do a lot of cold calling and ringless voicemail. That's how we get all of our leads. So we have one in-house caller, but she she calls. But most of her responsibility is managing the virtual assistants. So we have six virtual assistants. Uh, we were down, we fired one yesterday and hired one yesterday. So we were down to five, now back up to six, um, in the same day, which is awesome. But we're doing cold calling and her job is to manage the virtual assistants, manage the leads, answer their questions, train them stuff like that. So that's what she does. Then once she gets, once the VA send over a lead, it goes to my, to our underwriter. So we have someone who all day just does comps. That's all they do all day. So we create a Are story. they agents? Uh, no, not agents. We Set do use the MLS. Uh, Dom is an agent, so he just uses Dom's login. Right. Um, but we have a handful of assistant logins. Yep. <coughs> so it goes to the underwriter. The underwriter just does comps all day, and analyzes the deals, looks up if they have back taxes, liens, yep. and then he'll come up with the price range that we need to offer in and then he'll send it to our negotiators, right? So for a long time we were living off of one, uh, one to two acquisition managers. And I think that's the bottleneck that Dom was talking about. Now we have three acquisition negotiators and it's really, really awesome because they can really put the energy towards the leads, right? Um, because when you're just one person or two people, You're getting flooded with these leads you forget stuff somebody told you to call them at 11 you didn't call them at 11 Um, you know somebody calls back into the system of somebody who you spoke with two months ago you know and now they're like hey you offered me 30 grand now I'm ready to sell so the pipeline just builds and builds and builds and follow-up is huge right right and so after months and months you just have this huge pipeline of follow-up and new leads and so now that we have 3 acquisition managers it's really really great and we're locking up the most deals we've ever locked up doing mm-hmm. the most deals that we've ever done. Um, tell me tell me about the thought process
0: <coughs> of you mentioned like 35 40 grand deal the thought process of letting someone else take that from entrusting Ooh. trusting Ooh. an acquisitions guy that you just hired a new one. What if a 40 grand deal gets tossed on his lap and botches it which is an easy thing to do botches it to zero you know right. how do you give that how do you give that up and do, do are you in the process to where if you see something come across you like oh i'm gonna take this one
2: yeah so or do you trust them no a lot of it is yeah just trusting them uh so we're still very involved i mean we're in the office right every single day we're the first ones to get there, the last ones to leave so we're right there Right, this guy—if my acquisition closer is going to make a call, I'm right there listening. If it's a really good deal, we have splitters on headsets, and I'll just sit in with them, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, a a lot of it is getting out of the mindset of this person isn't going to do what I could do, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's just being okay with this person is not going to achieve 100% of what I could achieve. Right, and so. That was the biggest hurdle um, of hiring people. But once you just make that mindset shift, it's just, all right, if this person could accomplish, you know, 60% of what I could, it's just my job to give him more so that instead of him doing 100% um, and getting five leads, he'll do 60%. I got to get him 15 leads. Right. right? Um, so that's the mindset that you have to go into when hiring people and trusting your staff and stuff like that. And, and another thing is like, you know, if, if you never trust them with those leads, you're never gonna remove yourself from the business, of course, right? And so one thing that I'm, that I am handling right now, myself personally, are like big land deals, right? And that's just because it's a totally new concept. Yeah. So I'm still trying to learn it. So I can't teach it to someone until I learn it, right? right. And so two days ago, um, oh, and she signed this morning. Oh nice man But uh, I took my field guy with me to uh, It's like six acres Over on the west side that we're locking up And I took him with me Just so that he can start to listen To the verbiage of me talking What do I do when I go into the land It's a totally different contract now Um, A lot longer inspection period A lot longer close Way more earnest money Stuff like that And so that is something that I'm handling But you know we're it's not something that I, I'm just gonna always handle. Like I'm, I'm gonna take my field guy to all the appointments so that he can handle the field appointments for the lots and then I'm gonna start sitting in <coughs> on the calls. So first things first is they need to listen to you, make those calls, negotiate those deals, mm-hmm. and then you listen to them, make those calls, listen and tweak and stuff like that.
1: One uh, thing that's, uh, that's cool for people that are trying to scale and trying to figure out, like, how do I trust new people with valuable leads? There's two things that we do, and I think this can help a lot of people out there. On the cold caller side, right, on the lead generation side, um, when we're training people up, we have them practice on Fizbo's. We have them practice on for sale by owners because they're not very motivated. They're priced probably right at ARV or Zestimate number or whatever yeah. the case is. So we just have them calling them for a couple of days till they get, feel comfortable before they waste time on our the leads that we pay money for. So that's a huge nugget for people that need to train people or train themselves. Like, I think that new wholesalers should practice on Fizbo's before they practice on leads they're spending money on. Mm-hmm. You can get them for free on Zillow. You know, they're free all over the place out there. You're driving for dollars, take a Fizbo signed phone number and call them and practice, Right. you know? So I think that's a huge um, golden nugget and um, as we go through our underwriting process, you know, a lot of people will tell you they'll they'll hear an offer. I'll hear an offer, you know, or I'll sell if the price is right or whatever the, the case may kickers. be. Tire kickers. Tire um, kickers. So when that goes through the system and the underwriter underwrites the deal and we find out this dude's got a, he just took a mortgage out two months ago for 225. <laughs> His ARV's 225. Right. Um, that might be an extreme example. We might not send that through. But right. things like that we send to new people. To practice yep. because it's just going to be thrown away anyway right yeah so i think that will help a lot of people you know practice like the deals that you can make happen don't practice on those <laughs> practice yeah. on the shitty ones yeah. and then you know do two three four phone calls on the shitty ones go to that slam dunk 40k er you know great great yeah. advice i want yeah, to i want to
2: shift a little what did you say you gonna say no no, no no i basically i just wanted to uh to just mention, yeah, you just have to be okay with letting go mm-hmm. and just
0: being okay with letting go. is huge. Yeah, it's, it's not it's easy huge, to it's do. it's huge,
2: Especially when you're dependent on, you know, you're growing a business. So every dollar counts, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And you don't want them to mess up. You don't want them to say the wrong thing, but uh, a lot of it is just you telling them that it's okay, that they can do it. They will step up to the plate. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They, they want, to do a good job they right. want you know they they get paid commission as well yeah uh, the acquisition closers uh so they want to do a slam dunk as well mm-hmm. so they're, they're gonna do their best and knowing them knowing that you're trusting them to make the call i feel like makes them perform better you're right you know? i mean you yeah that's
1: yeah.
0: that's the way you do it you, you're definitely right with that um i want to shift a little bit and just talk about what you guys are doing with social media because it's a it's a little unique. Um, you have a lot of the guru types that are out there doing it. You guys are doing it in a different way where you go live a lot. You share so much information. Um, when did you start that? What's, and what's the goal with it and how is it going?
1: Okay. We started probably, is it about a year now?
2: You think a little bit under a year? Yeah, it's
1: a little bit under (coughs) a year. Um, we started it just because a lot of the people that we read up on and that we follow, there's this correlation between the attention that you get and the income that you get and it's almost directly correlated with each other right so as your following grows um and you're you get more attention and you're way more exposed you know you're you're trying to build that theory that concept of omnipresence Um, yeah yeah if you can the more you build that and the more awareness and attention that you get um it should directly correlate with the income that you're receiving You know, whether it's, um, you know, we do a lot of stuff for free. If we ever charge for anything, it's either super cheap or break even. And I don't know, you know, what people follow what we do or whatever the case is. But um, it's really all to build the attention. We don't have an exact goal on where we want to be in X amount of years with that. Um, We just know that we're starting to see a little bit of the fruits from it. People are bringing us deals. Mm -hmm. We're JVing with people. We're helping them along the way. They're making money. We're making money. And it's just adding to the bottom line. Awesome.
2: Yeah. So it's just putting ourselves out there. You know, Um, Grant Cardone has this this thing that he says, you know, he says, if they don't know you, they won't flow you. Right. So basically, if nobody knows you out there, you're not going to get paid. And so it's just a matter of we have to put ourselves out there. It's a long-term play. Hell yeah. You know, it's a it's definitely a long-term play. It's taking attention from our business one more time. Um it's a definitely a long-term <laughs> play. Just putting that out there, right? Uh you don't y- you don't get paid to go live on Facebook, right? <laughs> yeah. But um it's very important to just put yourself out there. And a lot of people were coming up to Dom and I every single time we we'd make a video. Uh, or post hey, we just closed a deal. Oh, how'd you do it? How, you know, how'd you get the lead? How'd you close a seller? How do you sell your properties? So we can't answer everybody one individually? So we're just like shit. Let's just go live every Tuesday night, you know And then open up the floor for Q&A open Q&A. We'll pick a topic and just putting yourselves out there just creates more uh, Attention yep. to you and and that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're just trying to put ourselves out there and just Capture more attention of yep. the people out there.
0: That's that's a good way to look at it. I, it's a long-term play. <laughs>
2: it's a long-term play.
0: I get that more than anything because <laughs> so I bring a lot of people. You know, a lot of these podcasts, it's not local Jacksonville people <coughs> anymore. Um, it's people were skyping from California. We had a girl from Canada on the other day, and they're like, "What's your? I mean, why are you doing this? What's the purpose?" Because. A lot of times, a podcast or do going live, it's it's a it's a big funnel, right? Mm-hmm. It's a funnel for some. It's a funnel for a coaching program. There's always a pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with our meetup. Like it's it's a funnel to sell coaching, a funnel mm-hmm. to sell something. <clears throat> and we just, whether it's stupid or not stupid, whether it's real, actually no funnel. We did it to break up the monotony of the buying every day, to do something cool, to build a following, put ourselves out there. And it's a long-term play. I mean, it's <laughs> I, I, it's not like you're going to see immediate anything from it. But I tell you what, the probably the biggest ROI um, has been connect uh, of everything we've done. It's been connect and the Facebook group. I yep. mean, you guys got an awesome Facebook group too. But that closed Facebook group where people are talking about stuff and sharing ideas. I mean, a realist one of our one of the best deals this year came from that Facebook group. Nice. A nice. real estate agent posting a property. Um, another another funny thing came from it is a real estate agent at the beach posted the property, and that's now going to be my personal home through nice. the Facebook group. Nice. There you go, so, man. Yeah, just yep. weird things happen from it. Weird connections. Yep. You know, you end up putting yourself out there, going on panels. Me and Kyle de- decided to do panels on IMN this year. Mm-hmm. It's not. A, uh, you know, you just sign up for them. It's not like we are picked or anything. You just mm-hmm. sign up and you can go on it. But the connections we made from those panels and then it just it continues to grow. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. doing the right thing, putting yourself out there. I, I don't know that you have to have a, necessarily a concrete goal. Right. Um, yeah. Because, Dom, you're completely right in saying that It's directly correlated with your income. How many people know you? From by one way or another, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you won't buy a bunch more wholesale houses, but something else will come from it. So, yeah, it's great perspective on it, and it makes me feel
2: better that you guys don't have a goal on exactly what the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think something that goes uh, kind of uh, hand in hand with it, without really indirectly thinking about, is just accountability. You know, you start putting yourself out there that you're doing deals. You better have a kick-ass month next month, (laughs) because I had a kick-ass month last month, and now I'm posting deals, doing deals, and I need to keep the business growing. I need to, you know, keep this attention coming to me. And if I'm putting myself out there as, you know, building my brand and educator, sharing what I do, I can't be stagnant in my business or not do a deal next month. You know, right? And so. I think that that's one way that it's really helped us out Mm -hmm. is by putting ourselves out there, it's made us kick into gear more on our wholesale business because now more people are following us, more people want to come by the office. So we're like, shit, dude, we got to make more money now, (laughs) you know, because people want to see that stuff. And so I think that's been uh, an extra benefit from putting ourselves out there is like, now we really have to, you know, kick ass in this industry because everybody wants to learn from us. Everybody wants to, you know, pick our brains, come to the office, get a tour of the office or whatever. And I, we're not those kind of guys that want to just teach and not do, right? You know, uh, and so it makes us really held accountable to kicking ass in our business and continue to grow, hire more people, do more deals, make more money, and that that I think has been probably one of the best rewards of going out there, you know, starting a group, putting ourselves out there in social media. It's now we got to hire more people. Oh, this guy on social media just hired another person. What the hell are we doing, bro? We got to <laughs> get more leads, you know? Like this guy posted on his thing that he got, you know, 200 leads today in his business. Like we got 30 leads. What the hell are we doing? You right. know, let's step up our game.
1: Hey, and take it easy. Yeah. It's a long-term play. Dude. <laughs> it's a long-term play. <laughs> it's a long-term play.
0: <laughs> I got a question for you you specifically Gonzalo. Someone strips everything you have now, someone strips away ROA everything. All you have is what's in your head. No money, no anything. What do you spend your first day, your first week doing to find a deal, get some money and get start the track to get back to where you were? And I love it. I I used to love this question because when I was first, you know, 5 years ago and I was listening to a ton of podcasts because you guys are on this pedestal. Now you're everywhere on social media. You got a ton of shit going on. You didn't, that didn't happen overnight, right? You mm-hmm. grew to get there, but I like to bring it back to, okay, now you've gotten there. What would you do if you had to do it all over again? How are you going to find your first deal? What are you going to spend your time doing? That's going to make you money.
2: Yeah. So th- and this is my personal, uh, approach to this question, right? But the first thing that I would do is I'd, I'd meet the, the most active buyers, uh, in in my in my community in my area. So I'd look on public record and Just see who's buying properties who's actually buying properties because you'll go to a ton of networking meetings You'll go to you'll you'll see ads online or whatever. Hey, I'm buying properties I'm buying properties and you send them a deal and are they won't buy it, you know, they're not gonna buy it and so I think that's my first go-to just because it's so easy to do it's very quick to do is Going online and looking to see who just bought the most recent properties here in Jacksonville, cash. And you can see what they're paying for it yep. and what areas they're buying in. Correct, correct. So that would be my first go-to. Um, I think that's what gave us a leg up in RLA. Is that I had a ton of buyers already when I, you know, when we partnered up, I had a ton of ton of buyers. So it was easy for us to do our first couple of deals because as soon as we got them, I just handed them off to my quick buyers. On our first deal, we made two grand, and our second deal we made thirteen grand, Um, and the first deal that we did, I I had already a buyer in place. The second deal, Dom had the buyer in place, Um, and so it was just. That's my my thing is you have your buyers. buyers.
0: What's how do you find the deal though? How would I find the deal? What are you gonna do to find the deal with no money?
2: Uh, Uh, so no
0: call, no callers in the Philippines or wherever they're at.
2: Yeah. The the <laughs> first thing I would do is I would co-wholesale JV.
1: Yeah.
2: If my my first thing would be find a buyer. And then, because I'm, I'm really good. So you have to present deals to buyers. Not a lot of buyers are out there every day on Google searching or on, you know, on Zillow searching, but you present them a deal, they'll look at it and they'll buy it. You know what I mean? And so I, I have uh, a lot of, a lot of times where, we send out a deal, we blast it, we text blast it, we email blast it, it goes on social media, blah, 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 it gets seen by everybody. And then I'll go to a networking event and I'll talk to this guy who I know is on my list, who I know got my text message with the deal, who I know saw it everywhere. And I'll say, Hey, did you see this deal that I had? Oh no. You know where I'll take a look at it tomorrow and we'll sell it to that guy. Or sometimes,
1: yeah, I saw it.
2: Yeah. Or, or yeah, I saw it. it's a little tight. Well dude, let's go look at it tomorrow. And let's, you know what I mean? See right. if we can make something out, make me an offer, whatever. And we'll make a deal just because it got presented to that person. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of wholesalers out there that aren't presenting their deals. They want to take the uh, the passive approach and they just want to send the deal out there. And then, oh, my deal's not selling. It must not be a good deal. How many buyers is it getting in front of? You right. Because we'll have thousands of buyers on our email list. And then our open rate is like, you know, 200 people saw it. Right. Like 300 people saw it. So it's like, all right, there's another 3,000 buyers on our buyers list that haven't seen the deal and so that's my biggest thing is and maybe that's just because that's where I came from you know that I just I had really good relations with buyers and I was doing deals with other wholesalers because I just I would be able to present their deals to my investors so that's what I would do to get immediately started uh, to make some income and then start hiring Uh, cold callers pulling lists and stuff like that but my my first go-to would be build relationships with real buyers and then present wholesalers deals to them that would be my my go-to awesome last question of
0: the day is kind of um this is a obviously a local jacksonville podcast we talked to some other people but it started in jacksonville and i you know obviously this is where we do all of our business what's next for uh RLA as far as long term Um, have you thought about that Um, and if you haven't thought about super long term
1: What's next in the short term for you guys as far as growth? Okay, so I think at at this point we've got all of the uh, All of the agendas for all the personnel on our team Really mapped out in a way to where they have something that can they can follow day in and day out And when I talk to you about like within the first year, we got up to about 10 employees We've been hovering around that 10 employees throughout the entire second year. Throughout that entire time, we've probably really had one solid acquisition manager. And it sounds kind of insane to have that many people and one person locking up deals. But when you spread out the responsibilities, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Um, So we had one. So we did have two at a time at some times. You know, one would fall off, another one would come on. But by the time someone gets up to speed... You know it's really to me looked at as one solid acquisition manager for the entire time a little bit of support from gonzalo myself yeah. all that stuff whatever um i think we're at the point now where we have three solid you know some of them are still training they're still learning but they're solid dudes and even within like the first week they're locking up deals which is awesome for us that is awesome. right so um what i personally want to do and uh, you know we haven't 100 percent agreed on this But what I personally want to do is I want to get another one within the next couple of months. We're probably two to three weeks away from going into a remote market. The way that we built our company is built specifically to operate virtually, quote unquote, virtually. You know, we'll always have boots on the ground representation wherever we go. But the reason why I say that is because even though we're in this market and we have our field guy, the only piece of our puzzle that has to be substituted is our field guy everything else can be operated from our central location so if we go into another remote market we'll do the same exact thing with the same exact people in the same exact routine and then anytime we have to physically go to a property for pictures to change locks to get something signed live 80 to 90 percent of the stuff that we sign we get docu-signed but if we 80 need, to 90 percent over the, per phone, over the phone, phone
0: negotiation over the phone 100 is yes. over the phone
1: negotiation yes
2: 80 uh, to 90 percent is locked up under contract over the phone.
1: Yes. Yes. So, uh Such for the a different model. For, it's, it's a so, different, totally different model. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. so
0: interesting. We're in the same city and couldn't be more opposite yeah. as far as Well, Africa. that's
1: another thing that I've I've learned too is like you can visit us, you can visit OB, you can visit you guys or or any other wholesalers All the models will be very very they different. <laughs> and you can be you can still be super successful. Yep. And Another thing that I want to point out, too, is, like, we're very big on wanting to do volume. You guys do a lot of volume. OB does great. There's so many people in the market that do well, and we rarely run into the same deals. We rarely run into each other with the same deals. So when people talk about, you know, um, there, it's too competitive or there's not enough deals out there, that's just like a scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. you know? if you if you try to switch that and you realize by hearing people like me tell you we don't run into each other and we're pulling you know 30 plus leads a day and we're doing volume you guys are doing volume we rarely run into each other on the same deals so there's enough out there there's tons out there so i think that for the future so we know that all we have to do going forward is uh we have the numbers now that tell us if we add one person here we need support from here here and here You know if we add another acquisition manager or another two or three acquisition managers we need a little bit more support on the disposition side we know that um three acquisition managers you need seven lead managers right um if we add another two acquisition managers we need another two lead managers and then we need support on the disposition side so we kind of have those numbers now so uh this is a jump this is a leap but i feel like we could do a 10 million dollar year next year
0: awesome Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, We have one question
2: from Facebook Live.
0: Cool. We've got uh, Megan
2: asking, What do you guys
1: do when you're losing steam? For example, sick or family. How do you take time for yourself and personal lives without getting bogged down and wanting to quit?
2: Uh, That's a great question. I'd say uh, a lot of it is mindset, right? So just having having your head in the right place uh but i would say is and and everybody thinks different or um, uh, you know I, i'm i'm in a position where i came to a totally new city um, have no family here uh, my only friend is dom and warren we you know ain't friends bro we're just <laughs> business partners <you> know? <laughs> Um, so like I don't have a, I, I didn't grow up here no I knew nobody here and so when it comes to like getting discouraged or you know I'm having time for my personal life or you know like I'm not having enough fun in my life you know I'm I'm just working all the time uh, you know I I don't go back home as much anymore to visit my family basically I, d- I just think of my my end goal you know I th- I think of me in five to 10 years, right? And so that to me pushes me to keep, keep going at it, you know, go harder the next day. And if I went hard the next day, go harder the day after that. Because if, if I don't do that, I'm, I'm never gonna, gonna get to where I wanna be. And so it's just thinking, all right, I can either party this weekend and, you know, go visit my family And not saying that that's not important, but I'll be able to do much more for my family in five to ten years once I'm a freaking billionaire, you know, (laughs) one day, hopefully. Um, But that's kind of the way that I see it is I could go back home this weekend, let's say, right? I could go back home this weekend and hang out with my family. um, But if I stay in and work and grind that weekend, then maybe in a year to two years, I'll be able to buy my mom a new car or whatever right Mm -hmm. and so that's what pushes me is just understanding that i have to make the sacrifice now in order to achieve what others won't have in the future and discipline yeah it's discipline that's exactly the word and so that's kind of what i mean as an entrepreneur you're constantly talking to yourself right you're always talking to yourself and so all the time i'm telling myself like just keep going just keep going you know who cares like I'll, I'll see my friends on you know my my friends that i grew up with in, in high school or whatever and they're they're having fun or they just graduated college and they're out they're in the europe club. they're at the club <laughs> you know popping bottles and um, money they don't have and so it's just like shit you know i'm i'm only 23 years old i'm working every single day of the week uh i'm not partying i'm not doing anything like what am i doing with my life and i'm just like in 10 years it'll all be worth it and so that's just what i'm constantly telling myself constantly telling myself and when it comes to that personal time or family time or sick time um it's just a matter of just pushing through it and just thinking all right five to ten years i'm gonna look back and say i'm happy i didn't take that trip i'm happy i didn't uh you know go out with, with with the guys that night because it all adds up continue you know it all adds up and once you do it one weekend you're like oh, okay this is fun you know i'll, I'll, I'll go out the, the the weekend after that and stuff like that one thing that's helped me and dom uh, uh, me personally is we meet at 6 a.m on saturday mornings and sunday mornings at starbucks and so it forces me to not do anything crazy on a friday night or saturday night because i know i got to be up at six uh you know at starbucks at it's, I'm not always gonna be like that, but I'm willing to sacrifice those nights now in order to, to achieve what, what we want to achieve. That at least that's what pushes me. I don't know. What,
0: what I'll I'll add to just to that a little bit of a different perspective. I'm you know a little older than Gonzalo, wife, kids, um, so w- for me, like taking not coming in or something, if my daughter's sick or if I need to be home, spend a little time with my wife, if my head's not right, if things aren't right at home, I can't function and be productive here. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, just an example is yesterday. I'm usually, I'm up pretty early. Uh, I'm not always here early, but I'm, you know, doing something early. Uh, You know, yesterday up early here all day. um, And then, you know, I met with my partners late last night. We didn't, I didn't get home till almost midnight, 1145. So she's like, you're fucking staying here this morning and eating breakfast with me this morning. So like something like that, like a little bit of sacrifice showing up, you know, not leaving the house early. That makes me more productive, you know, having the freedom to do whatever. If I need to, if I'm eating breakfast with my wife and I don't want to come in till 10 one day then I work till eight thirty or nine that it just makes me better. Mm-hmm. Um, having, having that balance. And I, I, it took me a while to discover that because I, um, getting into it, I mean, you have to grind all day to find one deal, right? Mm-hmm. So getting into it, I was nonstop. So that balance of, uh, to answer that question, you need to take that time off sometime, especially if you have kids cause you don't get that time back. Um, so work when you can, but you're not gonna be productive at work if your shit's not right at home. So that's, that's the way I look at it.
1: I totally agree. And one of the thing, uh, things I was gonna add to that is, like, if you're working hard and you do have a little bit less time with the wife or kids, then the time that you do have, you need to like multiply how great that time is, right? So if you usually have four hours on a Saturday with your daughter and now you have three, well, that three better feel like six. She better be- have the time of her life. So that's kind of the way that I look at it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good way to look at it too. Very good. One more question, if you guys are good
2: for it. Uh, Bernadette Harris asks: How often do you end up having to renegotiate the locked-up offer from on the phone when you inspect the
1: property? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Every offer. How do you handle that? Um. So, uh, actually, we're pretty good, dude. We're pretty good with getting the pricing right. Um unless it's like in horrible condition or way different than described, um, we wouldn't have to renegotiate it. But uh, what we'll do is we'll go and um, we'll look at it and we call them up and we'd say, you know, we're, we're completely misled in the best way that we possibly can. But we'll say that we're completely misled. Um, you know, this is in way worse condition than we thought. And then this is the price that we're going to need it at. You know, we rub the belly a little bit. That's what we say in the office. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that became a thing. So when we have to talk to somebody nicely over the phone, oh, rub the belly.
2: Yeah, so I think it's getting getting into that mindset and th- we have trouble still to this day re- renegotiating every lead um, even when it is a good lead, right? Just because you probably will be successful renegotiating the lead. So for, just to give you guys an example, we had a property under contract for 41.5 We sold it for 55, so it's gonna be a great deal. And then yesterday we had our closer try to renegotiate the seller after we had the buyer locked up. And we tried to get it to 35. Seller didn't want to do anything, uh, but he said, uh, the lowest I'll go is 40, right? So we just got an extra 1500 bucks.
1: Five minute phone call.
2: Five minute phone call, an extra 1500 bucks. And so it's getting, ourselves getting out of that mindset of our it's a secure deal, we don't want to do anything, you know, we don't want to mess anything up. Um, it's getting out of the mindset. Our biggest deal was a forty thousand dollar deal. The reason we got a forty thousand dollar deal is it was a thirty thousand dollar deal, but we renegotiated it and made an extra ten grand, you know.
1: Because wow. the because the fact of the matter is, you know, we'll take I mean you guys see our stuff coming through. There's a lot of stuff that we'll lock up that you guys maybe either wouldn't lock up or wouldn't personally buy for yourselves, right? So, um the fact of the matter is it probably should have been less to begin with. Right. Um and there's a lot of times where we take the path of letting the sellers know directly, um you know, we're here, you're we're at this number, you're at this number. Listen, I feel like I can move it. I feel like I can get my investors to agree. But uh, this truly is gonna have to uh, be based on me bringing my investors by to get approval, right? Um, And what we've also found out is that once we get that agreement um, and then we sign the contract, that's that's the biggest hurdle is getting that contract signed. Once that contract is signed, then you have trust built between you and the seller. So the renegotiations are easier later on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times if we need to be in a better spot later, whether to move the deal initially or even after we get a buyer in place to make more money, um, we have more opportunity to do that. Great answer. All right, guys. Thanks again for coming.
0: Well, I am surprised it took us this long to get you here. But uh, that was great. A we ton were starting of information. to think you didn't like us, bro. <laughs> <laughs> No way, man. A ton of good information. I still want to do the live V live challenge at some point. Let's do it, man. (laughs) But, uh, thanks again. And, uh, where can people reach out to you? What's the best way to reach out to you? If they're looking for more information, ask questions, you guys are always putting
2: yourself out there. So you mentioned that you do a live, is it every Tuesday night or? Yep. Yeah. So we go live every Tuesday night. So we're on Facebook and Instagram. Me, just look me up on Facebook, Gonzalo Corzo or on Instagram. It's, uh, real Gonzalo Corzo. And then we have a uh, Facebook group called The People's Wholesalers. And that's where we go live every Tuesday night.
1: Right. And uh, just on Facebook, you know, you can just look up Dominic Felix, D-O-M-I-N-I-C-K. A lot of people put a C or a K. I've got both (laughs) Dominic Felix. And then um, on Instagram, it's at Real Dom Felix.
0: Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dom and Gonzalo. And uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Awesome. Happy to do it, man. (laughs) The book of 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 the